0: Welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Thord, and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based at the and Royal and Morsley Hospitals in South London. Joining us today is uh, Professor Michael King, a professor working at uh, University College London, and he and some co-authors have published a paper in the May edition of the British Journal of Psychiatry entitled Prevalence of Common Mental Disorders in General Practice Attendees Across Europe. So, uh, Michael, first of all, Let's talk about the background to this study. Why are you interested in the prevalence of uh, mental disorders, common mental disorders, in general practice attendees? Well, we're interested because that's the place uh,
1: many people can intervene. Most people have a general practitioner. And even across Europe, the general practice models are very similar to the UK, so they're free at the point of uh, request for treatment, and so therefore the GP's a a key person who might deal with that. But this study arose not from so much us wanting to know what the prevalence was between countries, but seeing if we could predict who might become depressed in the future. Now the data we've published there though are the people who were actually depressed at the day they came, or over the weeks when they made that consultation. And we were interested because suddenly we realised here we had a large number of European countries. Some of them had just come into the EU and some hadn't. And we noticed straight away that there were big differences in prevalence and anxiety and depression between them. So we thought, well, what what is this? Is it merely that people have a different predisposition for seeing their GP when they're depressed in one country than another? Because after all these people weren't found door to door, they were people attending their GP. So therein can lie all sorts of biases. You know, if I live in England, I might know my GP's more prepared to talk about depression than, say, if I live in Estonia, something like that.
0: Let's talk about why you picked the particular countries you did. Tell us a bit about the countries you investigated and why those countries.
1: Yes, well, part of it's serendipity, isn't it? Because it happens to be some of the people you know in various countries. So that starts it off. But no, there was a logic to it, and that was that it had a good spread east, west, north, south. So it went right down to the Mediterranean, but it went up into the Baltic countries and it went uh, as far east as Slovenia and as far west as Portugal. So it was an attempt to cover the various
0: cultural and geographical strands of, of what we call Western Europe at the moment. Let's just go back again to the beginning of the study, which was about variations in in psychiatric disorder. In medicine, it's a common idea that there might be differences in, say, the prevalence rates of diabetes across countries. Why is it something that still fascinates us in psychiatry? You're right, actually. It's a very
1: interesting point, because people have assumed somehow that depression should be equal in prevalence. Well, our finding was that it isn't, but it didn't surprise us in that way. It didn't surprise us, oh, it should have been equal across all the countries. No, it was more that... Here was an opportunity to say, why might it be more common? Just as you would if you saw diabetes was more common in one country than another. The problem with depression is that it does depend on people's behavior. So if I'm depressed, I may not see the doctor as the main port of call. Whereas if I fear I've got diabetes or if I have diabetes, then it seems more natural to go to the doctor. So uh, there's a difficulty in looking at the prevalence of depression if you
0: only take the people who come to their general practitioner rather than a door-to-door survey. How was the study actually conducted? What actually happened in these different general practices across Europe? People came, unselected people came into the waiting room and they were asked if they'd take part in it.
1: They were screened for depression and then undertook a, a more detailed interview. And so we used what's called the Composite International uh, Diagnostic Inventory. It's something uh, developed by the World Health Organization. And it gives a good structured diagnosis for depression. And then we asked them about a large number of other risk factors. Things like recent life events, problems at work... Uh, had they ever had a past history of depression, a whole raft of factors that we knew from the literature could be involved in the onset of depression.
0: And we also asked them about other disorders like anxiety and alcohol problems. Thousands of people are involved in this study. Could you give us a sense of how it compares to other similar studies in terms of the sheer size of it? It is large. Um, The reason it's large is because, remember,
1: that our original aim was to see who might develop depression out of this group of people who were unselected on any any psychiatric measure. So, of course, the incidence or the onset of depression is a much less common thing than the prevalence, the current uh, proportion of people who have it. So we had to follow a very large number of people in order to have enough new cases of depression, and hence the very large number. But of course, it gives you enormous power to look at what might be these differences in current depression, as we did. What would you say were your main findings? Well, the main findings, rather depressingly, for the UK is that there's much more of it here than there is in other countries. Um, Now, we wondered what might be the reason for that, you know. Could it be explained by GPs are just very open and sympathetic to problems with depression here? Well, it didn't look like that's the case because when you adjust for other things, like how often people attended and other sorts of cultural things, uh, the, the findings still remained quite striking. Now, it wasn't the case in countries like Slovenia or even Estonia. So what's going on here? These countries are not nearly as rich as the UK. They're not nearly as stable. They've recently come out of a political system that wasn't popular among the, the, the inhabitants of those countries. What might be? Well, it's interesting to speculate. It could be that they're given new motivation, new excitement, a new purpose for their country. We don't know. But there are certainly differences. Perhaps the UK population are more stressed uh, than the rest of the population. We don't know. It's not the first finding of this kind. There have been other indications that the health, of the mental health, of the UK population is not good. Uh, now compared to other equivalent Western countries. Yes, exactly. Um, But again, we are limited by the fact that these were people attending their GP, and I keep emphasising that because therein could lie biases. But as far as we adjusted for all the biases that we knew and could measure, that wasn't an explanation. If you looked at the depressed people across all the countries, they were all more likely to visit their GP. They all had a higher consultation rate than people in those countries who weren't depressed. So there's no doubt they go to their GP more often, but they don't go any more often here than there. So there does seem to be something intrinsic to the UK population um, about depression and anxiety. And the other interesting thing is that this, uh, this was the case for men too. Women are often seen as the people who get depressed, but the high rates here of anxiety and depression were in men.
0: Was there another country within Europe that came close to us in these prevalence rates for depression? Can yes. we draw a lesson from that? Well, I'm not sure. I think this study, like a lot of them,
1: raises many more questions than it answers, but Spain was the country that was close, on hard on the heels of of England, rather than the Netherlands, a country you might think is culturally much more like us. We don't know why. Um, when we uh, discussed these results, people suggested that it could be relating to ineffective treatments in the countries too. You know, why are depressed people attending a lot? Why are they not getting better? And there was some evidence coming from Spain that that GPs weren't particularly good at managing these conditions. But that doesn't seem to be the answer because, um, you know, we
0: have a very good record of primary care uh, treatments for mental problems in this country. So going back to this difference between incidence and prevalence, you're saying there was a difference across countries in that respect? There was, a, there was a high prevalence in the UK and a high incidence?
1: No. Um, if anything, the incidence was much, much closer across the countries. And that's an interesting point, because it may be something about the way people don't get better as fast here as anything. There were differences in incidence, and the UK was up in the top echelons of those incidents, but the range was much, much narrower, and of course
0: much lower. You said you had to do a lot of adjusting for possible biases or confounding variables. Tell us a bit about that. What were you adjusting for? You mentioned cultural factors, demographic factors, and consultation rates. Yes, exactly. So, But things like age
1: and education, that varied widely across the country. And uh, education, we know, is a very strong association with depression and anxiety. People with poorer education seemed to be more at risk. Now we knew that the educational levels in some countries, particularly Spain and Portugal, weren't as high as some of the other countries, for example, the Netherlands, the UK, or even the, the newly emergent countries like Slovenia and Estonia. But they weren't that wasn't the issue. So it was that sort of um, detail. We couldn't get into the detail of close cultural factors like The relationships between families or the ability for people to express
0: mental health problems in each of their countries, the stigma, those sorts of things. We couldn't get down to that level of detail. Could I ask you or perhaps press you to speculate as to what you think is going on as to why we have these higher prevalent rates in the UK and why it is depressed people in the UK maybe don't appear to be getting better? It's a very uh, complex thing. I think it may
1: relate to the dialogue or the debate we've had recently with these Layard initiatives that although we as a country have become much wealthier and probably except for the Netherlands wealthier per head than these other countries taking part that our levels of happiness haven't increased. Now happiness to me is just another mood like any other and the absence of it, we may be often diagnosing as depression. So whether we're now in a much more competitive society, a much more capitalist society, you know, the changes uh, that we've experienced and that people are just more stressed by these things, I'm not sure. But it does make you, you wonder in comparison to the other countries. The newly emergent countries, say, into the EU might be more excited. They might be, people may have new
0: opportunities. And we've got past that, that feeling now, I don't know. So, um, in a way, that, that could be argued as a kind of cultural milieu theory, which is about what's the zeitgeist in the, in the country, and uh, countries that, that feel they have new opportunities and have languished before feeling trapped by their situation, that might explain it. Um, what about personality? Um, we know that the, from, from um, evidence from the world of psychology that personality varies across countries. Do you think there could be a personality variable involved? Um, there certainly could be. I'm not sure whether... Personalities follow countries. Whether
1: people in a particular country have a particular kind of personality, it would seem, or the the myth is the Mediterranean countries people are more relaxed, manana etc. Whereas in the uh, northern countries like Slovenia, Netherlands, and and the UK, that somehow we have a Protestant work ethic that it's different. Well, if that were the case, we would have seen greater differences. Why was it so low in the Netherlands um, in Slovenia? Why was it lower in the Netherlands? which really are just very rich capitalist countries as well so it's not completely clear and uh, I think you would need finer grained kind of research to get at these problems but it does seem as if the issue exists and that depression is a very prevalent thing in the UK. Now I would also add a, a, a counter here to say you know are we medicalizing these problems are we just simply over-diagnosing it in the UK? Well I don't The depression I'm talking about is major depression, so it is the most serious end of depression. And we used exactly the same diagnostic criteria. These instruments had been well developed in the languages of these countries. So I don't think there was a confusion there. There does seem to be something real
0: happening in the U.K., you hinted that one of the possibilities is that maybe the management of the depression in different healthcare systems may not be as good. That's why people who get it may hang on to it and it may linger because of ineffective treatment. Um, was it possible to get a sense of the spend on mental health in different countries and whether there was a relationship between that and, uh, and prevalence rates?
1: It's, it's an interesting point because we looked at the antidepressant prescribing. Um, the same sort of level of the people who were depressed, the similar proportions were on antidepressants. So that didn't seem to suggest very much. And the rate of prescribing of the GPs, if anything, was higher in some countries in the UK. For example, in Spain, the prescribing rate was quite high. So whether people were taking their drugs, whether this was effective treatment, you've got to remember also that the rate at which the practices prescribe is not that helpful because they could simply be prescribing to the wrong people. All you know is that GPs prescribe more in one country than another. And that could be patient demand, they could be used as tranquilizers, etc. I'm puzzled by this because I think from my experience of this and my interest is in primary care mental health that GPs here are extremely good at treating people with depression. So it doesn't seem to follow that somehow they're mismanaging it. I think that it's just a very difficult thing to to treat effectively and if
0: people's stresses are not relieved maybe they go on in a chronic state. I know this is something probably we're going to go on to discuss in the CPD online podcast but do you think the solution therefore might lie actually outside of the of the health services there may be something else that we need to do um, outside of, of, of more uh, more provision of more services to affect these important prevalence rate differences that you've uncovered in this study? Yes,
1: and and no, I I I fear doing more and more for people in this situation because I think we're just heading down a kind of treatment paradigm when I don't know if it's making the situation worse. Um, I think this is something within society about people's beliefs about their their existential needs. That's a lot more complex than simply can we treat it. That's why I'm. Slightly sceptical of the Layard proposals that are now underway to increase psychological therapies for people because uh, really is that the best answer or is there something at a deeper level that's going on here that's nothing to do with health services or psychology?
0: What else is in the pipeline in terms of the implications of the, of this study? Have you got other research in the pipeline that you're doing that follows up from this study? Yes, well, as I said
1: at the start, this study was really aimed at saying could we predict who might become depressed? It wasn't a study, a cross-sectional study of this kind. Our real aim was, well, if there is a lot of depression about, can we prevent it? Now, the issue here is very rarely in psychiatry have we tried to prevent illnesses. Most of our work, um, there's been plenty of good exceptions, but most of our work has been about getting more effective treatments, trying to diagnose the the conditions in a better way. And our view was, well, the rest of medicine pursues prevention on a much bigger level. If you take heart disease, there are many algorithms, the Framingham Risk Scores, the most famous, saying, what's my risk in 10 years of getting a heart uh, attack? And we thought, well, why are we not modelling? We know a lot about the risk factors out there for depression. Why are we not turning them into an effective prevention tool? Well, not a, sorry, I shouldn't say prevention tool, but an effective prediction tool, and thereby we might be able to predict these uh, problems in the future and prevent them. So this is where the work was aimed, and we've now completed it. We've followed people up for one year. We've now followed them up for two years, and we've built a risk algorithm Putting all these risk factors together into the real core that will tell us who will become depressed in a year's time of the well people. Now, this is leaving aside these people who are depressed at the baseline. And we've shown, quite interestingly, that we can predict depression as well as the cardiologist can predict heart attacks. Depression is not a fuzzy, indefinable thing, it is a definite thing that can be shown to occur over the following six or 12
0: months. And where might that paper be published? Or where should we look forward to seeing we,
1: it? Well, we, we've, we, we have it uh, submitted with a journal at the moment who's considering a revision of it. So uh, we're hoping it will be published soon. Professor Michael King,
0: thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you.